0: part two chapter eleven of the idiot this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin Giesen. the idiot by fyodor dostoevsky translated by eva m martin part two chapter eleven the anger of the epanchin family was unappeased for three days as usual the prince reproached himself and had expected punishment but he was inwardly convinced that lizabetha prokofievna could not be seriously angry with him and that she probably was more angry with herself He was painfully surprised, therefore, when three days passed with no word from her. Other things also troubled and perplexed him, and one of these grew more important in his eyes as the days went by. He had begun to blame himself for two opposite tendencies. On the one hand, to extreme, almost senseless confidence in his fellows. On the other, to a vile, gloomy suspiciousness. By the end of the third day, the incident of the eccentric lady and Evgeny Pavlovitch had attained enormous and mysterious proportions in his mind. He sorrowfully asked himself whether he had been the cause of this new monstrosity, or was it but he refrained from saying who else might be in fault as for the letters n p b he looked on that as a harmless joke a mere childish piece of mischief so childish that he felt it would be shameful almost dishonourable to attach any importance to it the day after these scandalous events however The prince had the honour of receiving a visit from Adelaida and her fiancé, Prince S. They came, ostensibly, to inquire after his health. They had wandered out for a walk, and called in by accident, and talked for almost the whole of the time they were with him about a certain most lovely tree in the park, which Adelaida had set her heart upon for a picture this and a little amiable conversation on prince s's part occupied the time and not a word was said about last evening's episodes at length adelaida burst out laughing apologized and explained that they had come incognito from which and from the circumstance that they said nothing about the prince's either walking back with them or coming to see them later on the latter inferred that he was in mrs epanchin's black books adelaida mentioned a watercolor that she would much like to show him and explained that she would either send it by colia or bring it herself the next day which to the prince seemed very suggestive at length however just as the visitors were on the point of departing prince s seemed suddenly to recollect himself oh yes by the bye, he said do you happen to know my dear Lyof nikolaevitch who that lady was who called out to Yevgeny pavlovitch last night from the carriage it was nastasia philipovna said the prince didn't you know that i cannot tell you who her companion was but what on earth did she mean i assure you it is a real riddle to me to me and to others too prince s seemed to be under the influence of sincere astonishment she spoke of some bills of Yevgeny pavlovitch's said the prince simply which rogojin had bought up from someone and implied that rogojin would not press him oh i heard that much my dear fellow but the thing is so impossibly absurd a man of property like Yevgeny to give iou's to a money-lender and to be worried about them it is ridiculous besides he cannot possibly be on such intimate terms with nastasia philipovna as she gave us to understand that's the principal part of the mystery He has given me his word that he knows nothing whatever about the matter, and of course I believe him. Well, the question is, my dear Prince, do you know anything about it? Has any sort of suspicion of the meaning of it come across you? No, I know nothing whatever about it. I assure you I had nothing at all to do with it oh prince how strange you have become i assure you i hardly know you for your old self how can you suppose that i ever suggested you could have had a finger in such a business but you are not quite yourself today. i can see he embraced the prince and kissed him what do you mean though asked muishkin by such a business I don't see any particular business about it at all.' "'Oh, undoubtedly this person wished somehow, and for some reason, to do Yevgeny Pavlovich a bad turn, by attributing to him, before witnesses, qualities which he neither has nor can have,' replied Princess, dryly enough. Muishkin looked disturbed. But continued to gaze intently and questioningly into Prince S's face. The latter, however, remained silent. Then it was not simply a matter of bills, Mushkin said at last, with some impatience. It was not as she said. But I ask you, my dear sir, how can there be anything in common between Yevgeny Pavlovitch and her, and again Rogojin? I tell you, he is a man of immense wealth, as I know for a fact, and he has further expectations from his uncle. Simply Nastasia Philipovna. Prince S. paused, as though unwilling to continue talking about Nastasia Philipovna. Then at all events he knows her, remarked the prince, after a moment's silence. Oh, that may be. He may have known her some time ago—two or three years, at least. He used to know Totski. But it is impossible that there should be any intimacy between them. She has not even been in the place. Many people don't even know that she has returned from Moscow. I have only observed her carriage about for the last three days or so." "'It's a lovely carriage,' said Adelaida yes it was a beautiful turnout, certainly the visitors left the house however on no less friendly terms than before but the visit was of the greatest importance to the prince from his own point of view admitting that he had his suspicions from the moment of the occurrence of last night perhaps even before that nastasia had some mysterious end in view yet this visit confirmed his suspicions and justified his fears it was all clear to him prince s was wrong perhaps in his view of the matter but he was somewhere near the truth and was right in so far as that he understood there to be an intrigue of some sort going on perhaps prince s saw it all more clearly than he had allowed his hearers to understand At all events, nothing could be plainer than that he and Adelaida had come for the express purpose of obtaining explanations, and that they suspected him of being concerned in the affair. And if all this was so, then she must have some terrible object in view. What was it? There was no stopping her, as Mushkin knew from experience, in the performance of anything she had set her mind on. Oh, she is mad, mad, thought the poor prince. But there were many other puzzling occurrences that day, which required immediate explanation, and the prince felt very sad. A visit from Vera Lebedeff distracted him a little. She brought the infant Lyubotchka with her as usual, and talked cheerfully for some time. Then came her younger sister, and later the brother who attended a school close by. He informed Muishkin that his father had lately found a new interpretation of the star called wormwood which fell upon the water springs as described in the Apocalypse. He had decided that it meant the network of railroads spread over the face of Europe at the present time. The prince refused to believe that Lebedeff could have given such an interpretation, and they decided to ask him about it at the earliest opportunity. Vera related how Keller had taken up his abode with them on the previous evening she thought he would remain for some time as he was greatly pleased with the society of general ivolgin and of the whole family but he declared that he had only come to them in order to complete his education the prince always enjoyed the company of lebedeff's children and to-day it was especially welcome for colia did not appear all day early that morning he had started for petersburg lebedeff also was away on business but gavrila ardalionovitch had promised to visit muishkin who eagerly awaited his coming about seven in the evening soon after dinner he arrived at the first glance it struck the prince that he at any rate must know all the details of last night's affair indeed it would have been impossible for him to remain in ignorance considering the intimate relationship between him varvara ardalionovna and ptitsin but although he and the prince were intimate in a sense and although the latter had placed the burdovsky affair in his hands and this was not the only mark of confidence he had received it seemed curious how many matters there were that were tacitly avoided in their conversations muishkin thought that gania at times appeared to desire more cordiality and frankness it was apparent now when he entered that he was convinced that the moment for breaking the ice between them had come at last but all the same gania was in haste for his sister was waiting at Lebedev's to consult him on an urgent matter of business. If he had anticipated impatient questions, or impulsive confidences, he was soon undeceived. The prince was thoughtful, reserved, even a little absent-minded, and asked none of the questions, one in particular, that Gania had expected so he imitated the prince's demeanor and talked fast and brilliantly upon all subjects but the one on which their thoughts were engaged among other things gania told his host that nastasia philipovna had been only four days in pavlovsk and that everyone was talking about her already she was staying with Darya Alexeyevna in an ugly little house in Matrosky street but drove about in the smartest carriage in the place a crowd of followers had pursued her from the first young and old some escorted her on horseback when she took the air in her carriage she was as capricious as ever in the choice of her acquaintances and admitted few into her narrow circle yet she already had a numerous following and many champions on whom she could depend in time of need. One gentleman on his holiday had broken off his engagement on her account, and an old general had quarrelled with his only son for the same reason. She was accompanied sometimes in her carriage by a girl of sixteen, a distant relative of her hostess this young lady sang very well in fact her music had given a kind of notoriety to their little house nastasia however was behaving with great discretion on the whole she dressed quietly though with such taste as to drive all the ladies in pavlovsk mad with envy of that as well as of her beauty and her carriage and horses as for yesterday's episode continued gania of course it was prearranged here he paused as though expecting to be asked how he knew that but the prince did not inquire concerning evgenie pavlovitch gania stated without being asked that he believed the former had not known nastasia philipovna in past years but that he had probably been introduced to her by somebody in the park during these four days as to the question of the iou's she had spoken of there might easily be something in that for though evgenie was undoubtedly a man of wealth yet certain of his affairs were equally undoubtedly in disorder arrived at this interesting point gania suddenly broke off and said no more about nastasia's prank of the previous evening at last varvara ardalionovna came in search of her brother and remained for a few minutes Without Muishkin's asking her, she informed him that Yevgeny Pavlovitch was spending the day in Petersburg, and perhaps would remain there over tomorrow, and that her husband had also gone to town, probably in connection with Yevgeny Pavlovitch's affairs. "'Lizaveta Prokofievna is in a really fiendish temper today,' she added as she went out. But the most curious thing is that Aglaya has quarrelled with her whole family. Not only with her father and mother, but with her sisters also. It is not a good sign." She said all this quite casually, though it was extremely important in the eyes of the prince, and went off with her brother. Regarding the episode of Pavlichev's son, Gania had been absolutely silent partly from a kind of false modesty, partly, perhaps, to spare the prince's feelings. The latter, however, thanked him again for the trouble he had taken in the affair. Muishkin was glad enough to be left alone. He went out of the garden, crossed the road, and entered the park. He wished to reflect, and to make up his mind as to a certain step this step was one of those things however which are not thought out as a rule but decided for or against hastily and without much reflection the fact is he felt a longing to leave all this and go away go anywhere if only it were far enough and at once without bidding farewell to any one He felt a presentiment that if he remained but a few days more in this place, and among these people, he would be fixed there irrevocably and permanently. However, in a very few minutes he decided that to run away was impossible, that it would be cowardly, that great problems lay before him, and that he had no right to leave them unsolved or at least to refuse to give all his energy and strength to the attempt to solve them. Having come to this determination, he turned and went home, his walk having lasted less than a quarter of an hour. At that moment he was thoroughly unhappy. Lebedeff had not returned, so towards evening Keller managed to penetrate into the prince's apartments, He was not drunk, but in a confidential and talkative mood. He announced that he had come to tell the story of his life to Muishkin, and had only remained at Pavlovsk for that purpose. There was no means of turning him out. Nothing short of an earthquake would have removed him. In the manner of one with long hours before him, he began his history. But, after a few incoherent words, he jumped to the conclusion, which was that, having ceased to believe in God Almighty, he had lost every vestige of morality, and had gone so far as to commit a theft. "'Could you imagine such a thing?' said he. "'Listen to me, Keller,' returned the Prince. "'If I were in your place, I should not acknowledge that.' unless it were absolutely necessary for some reason, but perhaps you are making yourself out to be worse than you are, purposely. I should tell it to no one but yourself, Prince, and I only name it now as a help to my soul's evolution. When I die, that secret will die with me. But Excellency, if you knew, if you only had the least idea, how difficult it is to get money nowadays where to find it is the question ask for a loan the answer is always the same give us gold jewels or diamonds and it will be quite easy exactly what one has not got can you picture that to yourself i got angry at last and said i suppose you would accept emeralds certainly we accept emeralds with pleasure yes well that's all right said i go to the devil you den of thieves and with that i seized my hat and walked out had you any emeralds asked the prince what i have emeralds oh prince with what simplicity with what almost pastoral simplicity you look upon life could not something be made of this man under good influences asked the prince of himself for he began to feel a kind of pity for his visitor. He thought little of the value of his own personal influence, not from a sense of humility, but from his peculiar way of looking at things in general. Imperceptibly the conversation grew more animated and more interesting, so that neither of the two felt anxious to bring it to a close. Keller confessed, with apparent sincerity, to having been guilty of many acts of such a nature, that it astonished the prince that he could mention them, even to him. At every fresh avowal, he professed the deepest repentance, and described himself as being bathed in tears, but this did not prevent him from putting on a boastful air at times, and some of his stories were so absurdly comical that both he and the prince laughed like madmen one point in your favour is that you seem to have a childlike mind an extreme truthfulness said the prince at last do you know that that atones for much i am assuredly noble-minded and chivalrous to a degree said keller much softened but do you know this nobility of mind exists in a dream if one may put it so it never appears in practice or deed now why is that i can never understand do not despair i think we may say without fear of deceiving ourselves that you have now given a fairly exact account of your life i at least think it would be impossible to add much to what you have just told me impossible cried keller almost pityingly oh prince how little you really seem to understand human nature is there really much more to be added asked the prince with mild surprise well what is it you really want of me speak out tell me why you came to make your confession to me what did i want well to begin with it is good to meet a man like you it is a pleasure to talk over my faults with you i know you for one of the best of men and then then he hesitated and appeared so much embarrassed that the prince helped him out Then you wanted me to lend you money. The words were spoken in a grave tone, and even somewhat shyly. Keller started, gave an astonished look at the speaker, and thumped the table with his fist. Well, prince, that's enough to knock me down. It astounds me. Here you are as simple and innocent as a knight of the golden age, and yet yet you read a man's soul like a psychologist. Now, do explain it to me, Prince, because I I really do not understand. Of course my aim was to borrow money all along, and you, you asked the question as if there was nothing blameable in it, as if you thought it quite natural. Yes, from you it is quite natural. And you are not offended? why should i be offended well just listen prince i remained here last evening partly because i have a great admiration for the french archbishop bourdalou i enjoyed a discussion over him till three o'clock in the morning with lebedeff and then then i swear by all i hold sacred that i am telling you the truth then i wished to develop my soul in this frank and heartfelt confession to you this was my thought as i was sobbing myself to sleep at dawn just as i was losing consciousness tears in my soul tears on my face i remember how i lay there sobbing an idea from hell struck me why not after confessing borrow money from him you see this confession was a kind of master-stroke i intended to use it as a means to your good grace and favour and then then i meant to walk off with a hundred and fifty roubles. now do you not call that base it is hardly an exact statement of the case said the prince in reply you have confused your motives and ideas as I need scarcely say, too often happens to myself. I can assure you, Keller, I reproach myself bitterly for it sometimes. When you were talking just now, I seemed to be listening to something about myself. At times I have imagined that all men were the same," he continued earnestly, for he appeared to be much interested in the conversation and that consoled me in a certain degree, for a double motive is a thing most difficult to fight against. I have tried, and I know. God knows whence they arise, these ideas that you speak of as base. I fear these double motives more than ever just now, but I am not your judge, and in my opinion it is going too far to give the name of baseness to it what do you think you were going to employ your tears as a ruse in order to borrow money but you also say in fact you have sworn to the fact that independently of this your confession was made with an honourable motive as for the money you want it for drink do you not after your confession that is weakness of course but after all how can anyone give up a bad habit at a moment's notice it is impossible what can we do it is best i think to leave the matter to your own conscience how does it seem to you as he concluded the prince looked curiously at keller evidently this problem of double motives had often been considered by him before well how anybody can call you an idiot after that is more than i can understand cried the boxer the prince reddened slightly the archbishop would not have spared a man like me keller continued but you you have judged me with humanity to show how grateful i am and as a punishment i will not accept a hundred and fifty roubles Give me twenty-five. That will be enough. It is all I really need, for a fortnight at least. I will not ask you for more for a fortnight. I should like to have given Agatha a present, but she does not really deserve it. Oh, my dear Prince, God bless you!" At this moment Lebedeff appeared, having just arrived from Petersburg he frowned when he saw the twenty-five rouble note in keller's hand but the latter having got the money went away at once lebedeff began to abuse him you are unjust i found him sincerely repentant observed the prince after listening for a time what is the good of repentance like that it is the same exactly as mine yesterday when i said i am base i am base words and nothing more then they were only words on your part i thought on the contrary well i don't mind telling you the truth you only because you see through a man somehow words and actions truth and falsehood are all jumbled up together in me and yet i am perfectly sincere i feel the deepest repentance believe it or not as you choose but words and lies come out in the infernal craving to get the better of other people it is always there the notion of cheating people and of using my repentant tears to my own advantage i assure you this is the truth prince i would not tell any other man for the world he would laugh and jeer at me but you you judge a man humanely why keller said the same thing to me nearly word for word a few minutes ago cried muishkin and you both seem inclined to boast about it you astonish me but i think he is more sincere than you for you make a regular trade of it. Oh, don't put on that pathetic expression, and don't put your hand on your heart. Have you anything to say to me? You have not come for nothing." Lebedeff grinned and wriggled. I have been waiting all day for you, because I want to ask you a question, and for once in your life please tell me the truth at once. Had you anything to do with that affair of the carriage yesterday? Lebedeff began to grin again, rubbed his hands, sneezed, but spoke not a word in reply. I see you had something to do with it. Indirectly, quite indirectly. I am speaking the truth, I am indeed. I merely told a certain person that I had people in my house, and that such and such personages might be found among them i am aware that you sent your son to that house he told me so himself just now but what is this intrigue said the prince impatiently it is not my intrigue cried lebedeff waving his hand it was engineered by other people and is properly speaking rather a fantasy than an intrigue but what is it all about tell me for heaven's sake cannot you understand how nearly it touches me why are they blackening evgeny pavlovitch's reputation lebedeff grimaced and wriggled again prince said he excellency you won't let me tell you the whole truth i have tried to explain more than once i have begun but you have not allowed me to go on the prince gave no answer and sat deep in thought evidently he was struggling to decide very well tell me the truth he said dejectedly aglaya ivanovna began lebedeff promptly be silent at once interrupted the prince red with indignation and perhaps with shame too It is impossible and absurd all that has been invented by you or fools like you let me never hear you say a word again on that subject late in the evening colia came in with a whole budget of petersburg and pavlovsk news he did not dwell much on the petersburg part of it which consisted chiefly of intelligence about his friend hippolyte but passed quickly to the pavlovsk tidings he had gone straight to the epanchins from the station there's the deuce and all going on there he said first of all about the row last night and i think there must be something new as well though i didn't like to ask not a word about you prince the whole time the most interesting fact was that aglaya had been quarrelling with her people about gania colia did not know any details except that it had been a terrible quarrel also evgeny pavlovitch had called and met with an excellent reception all round and another curious thing Mrs. Yepanchin was so angry that she called Varia to her. Varia was talking to the girls, and turned her out of the house, once for all, she said. I heard it from Varia herself. Mrs. Yepanchin was quite polite, but firm. And when Varia said good-bye to the girls, she told them nothing about it, and they didn't know they were saying good-bye for the last time. I'm sorry for Varya, and for Gania, too. He isn't half a bad fellow, in spite of his faults, and I shall never forgive myself for not liking him before. I don't know whether I ought to continue to go to the Epanchins now, concluded Kolya. I like to be quite independent of others, and of other people's quarrels, if I can. But I must think over it. I don't think you need break your heart over Gania, said the prince, for if what you say is true, he must be considered dangerous in the Yepanchin household, and if so, certain hopes of his must have been encouraged. What, what hopes? cried Colia. You surely don't mean Aglaya. Oh, no! You're a dreadful sceptic prince he continued after a moment's silence i have observed of late that you have grown sceptical about everything you don't seem to believe in people as you did and are always attributing motives and so on am i using the word sceptic in its proper sense i believe so but i'm not sure well i'll change it right or wrong i'll say that you are not sceptical but jealous there you are deadly jealous of gania over a certain proud damsel come colia jumped up with these words and burst out laughing he laughed as he had perhaps never laughed before and still more when he saw the prince flushing up to his temples he was delighted that the prince should be jealous about Aglaya. However, he stopped immediately on seeing that the other was really hurt, and the conversation continued very earnestly for an hour or more. Next day the prince had to go to town on business. Returning in the afternoon, he happened upon General Epanchin at the station, the latter seized his hand, glancing around nervously, as if he were afraid of being caught in wrong-doing, and dragged him into a first-class compartment. He was burning to speak about something of importance. In the first place, my dear Prince, don't be angry with me. I would have come to see you yesterday, but I didn't know how Lizaveta Prokofievna would take it. My dear fellow, my house is simply a hell just now. A sort of sphinx has taken up its abode there. We live in an atmosphere of riddles. I can't make head or tail of anything. As for you, I feel sure you're the least to blame of any of us, though you certainly have been the cause of a good deal of trouble. You see, it's all very pleasant to be a philanthropist but it can be carried too far of course i admire kind-heartedness and i esteem my wife but the general wandered on in this disconnected way for a long time it was clear that he was much disturbed by some circumstance which he could make nothing of it is plain to me that you are not in it at all he continued at last, a little less vaguely. But perhaps you had better not come to our house for a little while. I ask you in the friendliest manner, mind, just till the wind changes again. As for Yevgeny Pavlovitch, he continued with some excitement, the whole thing is a calumny, a dirty calumny. It is simply a plot, an intrigue, to upset our plans and to stir up a quarrel. You see, Prince, I'll tell you privately. Evgeny and ourselves have not said a word yet. We have no formal understanding. We are in no way bound on either side. But the word may be said very soon, don't you see? Very soon. And all this is most injurious and is meant to be so. Why? I'm sure I can't tell you. She's an extraordinary woman, you see, an eccentric woman. I tell you, I am so frightened of that woman that I can't sleep. What a carriage that was, and where did it come from, eh? I declare I was base enough to suspect Yevgeny at first, but it seems certain that that cannot be the case, and if so, why is she interfering here?' That's the riddle. What does she want? Is it to keep Yevgeny to herself? But, my dear fellow, I swear to you, I swear he doesn't even know her. And as for those bills, the whole thing is an invention, and the familiarity of the woman. It's quite clear we must treat the impudent creature's attempt with disdain, and redouble our courtesy towards Yevgeny. I told my wife so. Now I'll tell you my secret conviction. I'm certain that she's doing this to revenge herself on me, on account of the past, though I assure you that all the time I was blameless, I blush at the very idea. And now she turns up again like this, when I thought she had finally disappeared. Where's Rogojin all this time? i thought she was mrs rogojin long ago the old man was in a state of great mental perturbation the whole of the journey which occupied nearly an hour he continued in this strain putting questions and answering them himself shrugging his shoulders pressing the prince's hand and assuring the latter that at all events he had no suspicion whatever of him this last assurance was satisfactory at all events. The general finished by informing him that Yevgeny's uncle was head of one of the civil service departments, and rich, very rich, and a gourmand. And, well, heaven preserve him, of course, but Yevgeny gets his money, don't you see? But for all this I'm uncomfortable, I don't know why there's something in the air, I feel there's something nasty in the air like a bat, and I'm by no means comfortable. And it was not until the third day that the formal reconciliation between the prince and the epanchins took place, as said before. End of Part 2, Chapter 11